0: Hello, everyone. My name is John Holt, and I'm your host for today's episode of Eyes on Earth, a podcast of the U.S. Geological Survey's Earth Resources Observation and Science Center. Today, we're talking about the past and future of Earth observation. A movie camera attached to a captured German V-2 rocket got the first images of the Earth from space in 1946. But it took another 13 years to get imagery from an orbital satellite, and 13 more after that to launch the first Landsat. For years, Landsat was the only game in Earth observation. Other government space agencies launched satellites slowly with years passing between each launch. Fast forward to the present day and the game has changed dramatically. More than 1,000 satellites were launched between 2012 and 2017, 335 launched in 2017 alone. How do we keep track of all these birds? And more importantly, how do we keep track of how good they are, what they're good for, and how they might work together to monitor the Earth's surface in the interest of science? Our guest today wrote a guide designed to answer questions like that, or as we call them in the USGS, a circular. His name is John Christofferson. John, welcome to Eyes on Earth. Thank you. So let's start by having you tell us a little bit about what you do here at Eros and uh, how you got into the game of Earth observation. One, I've got plenty of gray hair, so I've had a rather long career.
1: I've been involved with electro-optical imaging since I got out of college, my first job, originally doing it for defense work, and then uh, shifting the company I was working for in California, um, made all of the sensors for the first seven Landsat satellites, and I got involved with creating or helping to build the Enhanced Thematic Mapper Plus for Landsat 7. I came out here originally to help uh, work with the quality assurance efforts, the calibration efforts for
0: Landsat 7 can you can you give me just a sense of what you mean when you say Calibration, what, what are we talking about doing to make them the best calibrated and what does that mean?
1: Calibration is just a way of ensuring that it is of the highest quality I like to say that Landsat and other satellites don't take images of the earth. They take measurements of the earth so the the two big ones are geometric excuse me geometric and uh, radiometric accuracy Are those pixels precisely where they should be and are they reporting back what they
0: are measuring world of difference from um a movie camera on a rocket yes Yes. (laughs) yeah so let's uh, start somewhere right yes that's right you have to start somewhere so so let's talk a little bit about um how earth observation has evolved from a a movie camera on a rocket to the point where you're at today talking about uh calibration of the radiometry and geometry how many Earth observation satellites are up right now. Do you have that on the tip of your tongue? Uh,
1: it's varying day by day. The, the union of concerned scientists keeps a nice operational catalog of satellites in the air right now. And they're they're tracking over 2000 operational satellites of which 769, 750 to 800 are operational earth observing satellites.
0: Um, but when we started, when we started, though, when Landsat started, it was one? There was just a handful of satellites? There was one plus the military. But in terms of the satellites that, that, were, that were up, that we knew about, that, that civilians had access to? C- civilian satellites? Uh, civilian remote sensing, if you
1: look at you know, our Earth observation, actually started much earlier with the first weather birds. But for land imaging, which is near and dear to Eros' heart, um landsat was truly the first civilian dedicated land remote sensing satellite to you know to serve this to serve land science
0: right we're not we're not looking for weather we're not looking at clouds we're looking at what's happening on the ground right weather and clouds get in our way that's yeah we are not quite as big of fans of those right right so so we started with landsat and i think i mentioned in the intro it Used to be years, right, between the launch of an Earth observation satellite. It was Landsat and Spot,
1: the two main things until
0: the late '90s. And then we pass 1999, 2000, and a few more Earth observation satellites come online, and something called JC appears. Is that is that right? Is that yes? Is this JC? Is it one of Frank Zappa's kids? I mean, what is a JC? What's that? Well, some interesting things happened
1: in the late 90s. Um, first, the planning for the mission to planet Earth, which is an effort to get multiple satellites with multiple instruments measuring broad Earth conditions to get a more holistic picture of what's happening on our Earth. Um, that was an exciting time. But then also, in late 99, early 2000, we saw the launch of the first commercial uh, high-resolution satellites. Ekonos offered one-meter resolution imagery, which was astounding to us at the time. The uh, Digital Globe Corporation launched the first QuickBirds, other satellites. And there were questions about, well, are these data any good? And so JC was formed. It's JC stands for, the, uh, it's J-A-C-I-E, the Joint Agency Commercial Imagery Evaluation it's quite
0: the mouthful Effort, yes that's why we say Jason <laughs> <laughs> so so this group this group came together to answer these questions about um, just a couple of uh, commercial satellites so at that point we had Landsat we had spot there were a few other uh, sort of civilian mm-hmm. government satellites out there these commercial players come in but we're still talking about a pretty low number of actual systems that are collecting imagery over the earth right
1: you could you could Of the systems we could get our hands on data from you could still count them on two hands even up through most of the first decade of the of this
0: century so you're in 2000 you're talking to these people and you you can still like you say uh you know use your hands to count the number of satellites last year there was a jc conference right? there's a jc uh gathering and get together this is every year Mm annual how many how many satellites were you talking about, or could you have potentially been talking about last year at your JC conference?
1: Oh, potentially we could have been talking about hundreds, but, um, in actuality, we we did report on, I'd have to go back and look at last year's agenda, see what we report on, but probably uh, a dozen or less. Um, there were the Landsats, Sentinels, the Europeans now have it it's, it follows on almost in uh, spirit to the original mission to Planet Earth, Earth Observing System. They now have their Copernicus system, and then we also had commercial players there from Digital Globe. is still very active in this. Over fifty countries have uh, land observing satellites. Wow, it's a it's
0: a big a big leap, a big jump from yeah. where we were. Even 20 years ago. Um, well, so I suppose that brings us to the book. Tell us about the book. Why, why a compendium? What, what makes this product useful and unique for land imaging satellites?
1: There are a number of resources out on the web where you can find out different satellite characteristics, but they all have certain limitations to them. One, the CEOS, uh, the Committee on Earth Observing Satellites, they have a great database, but that leaves out the commercial birds. Um, there is a site maintained by ESA and the... The ESA, you're talking about the... European Space Agency, excuse me, by acronyms here. Right. They have a lot of very, very, very detailed information, but it's hard to pour through there and just find the basics that you need. And again, they're missing a few satellites. Union of Concerned Scientists has their database, but they don't have the technical details or remote sensing details that we like to have in there. So we decided... To put together a book of these.
0: Why are there so many satellites? How has it become such an explosive thing?
1: Let's talk about maybe CubeSats, is that? Oh, and that's all part of it. Um, Numerous factors have come together for this. First of all, um, dealing with Earth observing data in the last two decades has gotten so much easier. In the very earlier days of Eros, the majority of users got their data on printed pieces of film. But it was around the late 90s that finally PCs became powerful enough, you know, desktop, laptop, computers, powerful enough to deal with massive amounts of data that is a landsat scene, which now we don't think anything of. There's a confluence of technological developments that are driving this. One, the ease of computing. We can deal with this data so much easier now, so much easier than in the past. Launch vehicles have become cheaper. There are well over a hundred different launch systems under development now. Different systems being developed right now. Everybody and their brother is trying to build a rocket to space. Satellites can be made smaller with a lot of new technologies, advances in microelectronics, and so on. You can make satellites smaller. You can put multiple satellites on one launch. Not long ago, uh, India launched over a hundred satellites in one launch. Wow! Must look like popcorn coming out of there. So now you're only paying for you know one one hundredth the cost of a rocket, and the launch is cheaper to begin with. Right?
0: So, we, so you say one one hundredth of a cost of a rocket. I think again we're talking about CubeSats, which are loaf of bread size or or larger kind of on, satellites.
1: Uh, on the, on that launch vehicle that launched over a hundred, some of them were CubeSats. Quite a few of them were. Uh, some were small Sats. There's different classes. CubeSat is a buzzword that is bandied around right now, right. but. Basically, what we're talking about is satellites weighing anything from a few pounds to a couple thousand pounds.
0: Which, again, allows you to put a whole bunch of them
1: on one rocket. Exactly. And now you can divide the cost of that launch among many passengers going up there. If we each had to pay for the entire jet when we flew across the country, none of us would fly. But because we're dividing that cost with a couple hundred other passengers, it's
0: pretty affordable. Same so thing. we're literally to the point where satellites on a rocket are like passengers on a, on a jet airplane. And yes. that's what's making this possible. That's mm-hmm. what's making the economics work to get so many satellites.
1: Right. So. It's it, it, It's opened up economically access to space to far more people than ever before, particularly small companies, commercial companies. People are
0: seeing niches that they're hoping they can fill with this. But when you say there's, a, there's a, there are a lot of players, I mean... It's not just commercial. It's like you're talking about commercial is, is kind of the big area where we're seeing the growth. But colleges, I feel like I've read stories about high school yeah. students putting together satellites yeah. and hitching a ride on these yeah. things. If you've got $5,000,
1: you can buy all the parts um, to build your own satellite. One of these little CubeSats, which by the way, a Sat means that it's 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, about four inches on a side, a little box. And yeah that costs about four or five thousand dollars you can buy it online with a credit card and assemble it yourself and then you've got to go find a launch vehicle um but nasa is very generous with uh education support and so on That you can catch a ride up to the space station um the space station has uh ejectors that can eject satellites from it into a fairly low earth orbit they don't last too long up there but you can live for a
0: year or two so, how do you go about getting approval? Like, if you're a high school teacher and you and your your class builds a satellite, can you just call NASA and say hello, and then they they give you a form or something? I mean, how do you get? Do you need permission to do that? Yes, yes. Uh, there, it's it's a, a fairly long and
1: harrowing um, series of regulatory hoops you have to jump through um, within the United States. It's governed by the Department of Commerce. Um, permission to launch and so on. Uh, the FCC also weighs in on that. They ask, there's, we've got people at USGS headquarters who sit on the board to approve these launch license applications.
0: So it's it's not, it's not quite as simple as calling up, uh, you know, calling up a rocket like an Uber. Um, there, there are several steps that need to happen. Yeah, we don't have Uber for space yet. yet. So, but yeah,
1: you've got to make sure that... Uh, there, there are some rules for operating up there. You must deorbit. You must have uh, certain capabilities to be safe. Uh, one of the reasons CubeSats are 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter and not smaller, we can make satellites even smaller. But that gets difficult to detect on radar. And they want to be able to track all of these things up in space so that you can avoid collisions, intersections, and so on. And so, yes, they just made that arbitrary limit 10 centimeters. And by golly, everybody's building cubesats. This is the most exciting time. Things like the cloud bringing computing power, unimaginable amounts of computing power to bear on this, access to data, measurements of the earth being taken at higher frequencies and greater densities than ever before. Science, the science that is going to be possible with all of these data is
0: mind boggling. But again, it's got to be good. It's got to be trustworthy, and it's got to be able to work together. Uh, John Christopherson, thanks for talking with us about the past, present, and future of Earth observation. It's been fascinating. We hope that you come back for the next episode of Eyes on Earth. This podcast is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey Department of Interior. Thanks for joining us.